Hey guys, it's just a fire. Hey, what's going on, guys? Here at the Swamp, getting ready to beat LSU. Y'all tune in to Rule Number One podcast on Monday. Y'all hear something? If you uh, if you recognize that voice that just spoke, come on now. The, come on now. That's kind of famous in our intro. We have Mr. Trey Woosley, our guest on episode one. Now back on episode fifty. Back in studio with us, partner. I know, dude. I'm super excited. It's kind of coming all for full circle. Yeah. This past year and about a half now um, that we've been doing this thing, you know, we took a little bit of break um, for a couple different reasons. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> we covered that last episode. Yep. yep. And uh, and so it's kind of cool to have Trey back on. I was just thinking in my head and thinking about things we're going to talk to, and you know, he's in a whole different walk of life now than uh, the very first episode that we did, and we're in very different walks yes. of life. Yes. So that's one of the reasons why we wanted to have him back on. But I kind of chuckled and I was like. I remember after listening to that first episode that we did, I looked at Brian and I said, if we're going to do this, we got to change a lot of things. We got to get better. It was, it was rough. And I think this, this episode's going to be 10 times better. It was nothing against you personally, though. Oh, yeah. It was just kind of how we were running things. We really didn't know what the hell we were doing yet. That's understandable at that point in life. And yeah. now we kind of got the grip. We got the grip of it. We know how to kind of keep the conversation flowing. Um we also have the rule one question now that Trey didn't get to answer because we didn't yeah. come up with it yet. So, Trey, welcome to the rule one podcast again. Well, thank you. Thank you. We ask all of our guests this, excluding you, I guess, the first time. Man, what's your number one rule you live by? Oh, good Lord. <laughs> um, I don't really know if I got a rule. You got to have something. Anything. The amount of tattoos you have, yeah, you don't have some quote on you that you're like, yeah, this is, uh, this, this is why I got this tattoo. The dog ball. Oh, that's old Wheeler Paul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, y'all can't tell. The guy's in sweatpants and a, a hoodie. He's tatted all over. Got a whole sleeve on his leg and everything. It runs in the family, man. Ta- Uncle's a tattoo artist, so there naturally you, you got to get a lot, or you're the outcast of the family. I got to get with him. There you go. I need some fresh ink. I just went and got a. I uh, went to a tattoo party. It's my really? first tattoo party. I got tatted in. A, I don't even know where the heck the house was. Um, that sounds like what's that other. What's that other town in Florida? What starts with an A? Not a popka. Auburndale. Auburndale is an Auburndale. <laughs> the <laughs> only <laughs> other one that starts with an A. Of all A's, yeah. like Auburndale. <laughs> yeah, I went there. Tattoo party in the house. Guy was in the corner, tattooing people. Everyone else was drinking adult beverages and uh, eating steak. That sounds like a hell of a night. Yeah, that's not exactly where I thought that yeah, was going. Either. But <laughs> it was nice because you don't. It have sounds to go fun. To, yeah, you don't have to go to a shop. He's like, all right, who's next? And you're just like. So you Me. just tip him whatever you feel, or does he no, have he's rates? Got, he's got a price. Oh, okay, oh, okay. okay. But he's so, making, I don't know, $3,000 a night just because yeah. tattoo port. there's 30 people there. Man, yeah. I'm going to get my tattoo license. Think, think about that, dude. That's a quick buck. Are you artistic? I could try to be. No, you're autistic. <laughs> <laughs> we might have to cut that no, bit. <laughs> Give us your number one rule, man. You're a, lot, uh, you're a man of many lives, many places traveled to. Golly, um, it's going to be pretty basic, but try to see the best in everyone until I don't see the best in them. So it's kind of like, you know, you just give them the benefit of the doubt. And so uh, that's a big thing that I live by, you know, respect everybody is kind of, you know, one of my rules I live by. I've got tons of them, but you know, for me, I try to respect everyone and all walks of life, you know, you can walk into the door and I might have a couple 
thoughts that pop into my mind, but I want to give everybody the benefit of the doubt and be like, okay, you could be, I've met some very strange looking people and be awesome and on the inside, you know, fantastic people, biggest hearts in the world. And if you judge a book by your cover, uh, by its cover, you know, you just, you, you don't know what could happen. You could mess out on a lifelong friendship. This guy right here, when he, uh, so little backstory, Trey is a former college teammate of me and Nathan. Um, he was transferring in to, uh, from a D1 program, uh, and he was all tatted up. He had a buzz cut. He was like big jacked. Well, he's probably 20 pounds heavier than he is now. He wore baseball pants that were three sizes yeah, too small. way too small. <laughs> and, uh. When I first saw a picture, I'm like, oh, my God, we have a freaking douchebag coming to the team. And lo and behold, Trey shows up to campus. I walk up to him because I'm like, you know what? I'm going to meet this douchebag head on. I'm going to check him, make sure that he knows where he's at. And Really, Brian was like, hi, I'm Brian. Nice to meet you. No, no. I was like, I'm going I'm to see what this guy's really about. So I started talking to him. I'm like, dang, this guy fits right in. He's like growing up in Polk County. He's like one of the boys. And kind of how our friendship started off from there. Damn dirt leg. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, uh, there was one thing that uh, was a very big red flag when I met Trey. You know, I kind of looked past the tattoos and the buzz cut and everything. He seemed like an all right guy. But when I sh- he came over to the house one day, oh. um, the house that Brian and I were living in, and he's talking, and uh, he brings over a load of laundry. And uh, he, he asked me, he was like, hey, Nate, you, uh, you mind if I use the whoosher? I we said, had no idea what he was talking I about. I said, do what? He said, can I use your whoosher? And I said, what the hell is a whoosher? And he goes, your whoosher. I said, are you talking about my washer? I said, go throw the dang clothes in the washer and never call that crap again. It's a washer. It is yeah. a washer. It is not a whoosher. And then ever since then, I always joke around about him being a northerner because he calls it a whoosher, but he grew up in Kentucky. <laughs> My family does that too. I have some family from Kentucky, but their accents are just like that. They say winder and for window. Okay, uh, I can understand winder. Uh, washer for a washer. Um, they just don't know how to pronounce words up there. It's, I don't understand what's going on with you the English dialect. You know how Brad never talked about Kentucky until I came down? No, I have. Never heard yes. of <laughs> Brian told me, <laughs> oh, man, just the whole Kentucky stuff. And Brian, he's like, yeah, I'm from Kentucky. I was like, Brian, you're not from Kentucky. It's you're from Fort Maid. Kentucky. <laughs> don't back me up. Somebody will comment on my family. Yeah, we are from Kentucky on this video. It is funny you. because I don't think Brian has ever said that he was from Kentucky until he met you. Just to mess with you. Yeah, that's what I'd say, too. So, from Kentucky, you started off in Kentucky, and we didn't really get into your backstory much in the first episode. We kind of talked more about baseball. You grew up in what part of Kentucky? Oh, I guess it's technically western Kentucky. And how far is that from Louisville? That's the only... Louisville. 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 That's the only damn city I know up there other than Lexington. Um, an hour west of Louisville. An hour away. Okay, so what's the culture like up there compared to down here? Is it the same, different... It's it's more farmland than ranch land. Okay. So it's a lot more woods, but like we, we have a lot of tobacco. Um, it's tobacco, corn, and soybeans is yeah. the biggest thing. It's the same with like Tennessee and everything too. Yeah. So yeah, working tobacco in the summer, I wouldn't wish. wish let a, Lord have mercy. <laughs> you said something about Kentuckians can't speak, proving it point. Yeah, I am. But I wouldn't wish working tobacco on my dang worst enemy. Why? It was awful. What'd you have to do? All right, so, you know, it grows to a certain height. You got to cut the tops of it off because it looks like a little flyer. 
So then that's flower, flower translation. Flower. We're gonna have, have subtitles on this episode. Right, continue. So you gotta cut the little top off because it looks like flower. And then you have to go and you have to cut each stalk at the bottom, shove a pole through it, like a wooden stake, through like six of them, leave them there so it dries out. But you're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of stalks. So then you gotta go back after they're all dried, pick them up, put them on a wagon, and then me being the youngest, I'm climbing like four stories up in a barn with just boots on, no safety harness because you know. You're naked? No. Okay. You, you have clothes on. You have clothes okay. on. Okay. Yeah. Just make sure. But then it's from the wagon to the next guy to the next guy all the way up to the top, and you just hang them, you scoot, and you hang them, you scoot, you hang them, you scoot. Mm, I, I like being at the top, though, because if you're at the bottom, this was before I could handle nicotine, you're breathing <laughs> it all in, and like 16 year old Trey was like, <laughs> this is what is going on right now. <laughs> that's why sign I, me up. That's a that's a lot of stuff with like, for instance, like tobacco's a, a, a row crop, and so in same with like tomatoes or you know whatever. I guess you consider that a row crop grows in rows. Um, but uh, it, that's one thing. Like when you're working the field, there's no shade. And, like, I'm used to orange groves. I grew up, you know, my whole life working in the, Brian and I both, you know, doing polypipe and doing stuff like that. But, you know, you what mentioned. What the heck is polypipe? It's the irrigation, the uh, the basically the, like the rubber black, plastic the black, yeah. pipes that go underneath and there's sprinkler heads with them. Um, basically, it's just how you irrigate it. Um, but I imagine, so whenever you're cutting all that, that's technically like harvest time, correct? Yeah. And so, like, before that, that's leading up to it is probably a lot of tractor work, isn't it? Well, not entirely. I mean, granted, they go through and they put all the pesticides and all that crap yeah, on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, most of it, you're on foot. Oh, really? Like, the only time it's tractors when you're throwing everything on a wagon. Hard work. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. It sucked. It instilled a good work value in you, though. I mean, you went on and played Division One baseball, and then you kept playing until you made professional baseball, so you must have learned something in the tobacco fields that – Translated to that lifestyle of yours. Um, other than working tobacco and being from Kentucky, I kind of touched on the other things that you were into, baseball. Uh, you started playing when? Five, six years old? Three. Three? That's three. what I started playing. People don't believe me when I say yeah, that. Yeah, three T-ball. Yeah. The old uh, YMCA. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to get into our next topic of you growing up and playing baseball in Kentucky. Here in Florida, you like – you play baseball year-round. Was that the same up in Kentucky? Or oh, not? absolutely not. No? Kentucky is very much a basketball state. Yeah? Very much a basketball state. Go Big so Blue. Absolutely not. <laughs> You're a card. I'm a Louisville Cardinal fan. Louisville. Louisville. Okay. Um, but that, now, so, like, you play Little League, it starts in late March because it still gets cold and it snows up there. Um, play that till the end of May, and then you have All-Stars, and then it's, like, that's it. There was, like, no travel ball. If you play travel ball, like, we just made our own, like, county team. It was basically our all-star team. We just called it a travel ball team. Yeah. Okay. Because that's, I mean, there wasn't select baseball or any of that. That's not how it is down here. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, for instance, like, Florida, you can play any sport all year round. I mean, that's just kind of the the perks of living in Florida. Well, it could be, you know, it's kind of an Achilles heel, heel at the same time, too. There's a lot of athletes that play uh, that grew up in Florida that – play year-round, and they get to high school, and they're burnt out, and they're done. They're like, I'm I'm through. I mean, some of the most talented players in um, the country, and they're just, you know what, I'm done. I think I'm good. And whether that's parents pushing them too hard, coaches pushing them too hard, the heat's getting to them, and they're just tired of it. 
But with you, that was a little different story. You had that time to kind of take a break and hang out in the snow, go hunting, I'm sure, and do that whole shindig. Um, how was that translating from Kentucky and then you went to uh, your JUCO? Where was your JUCO at? Southern Illinois. So it was, ba- I mean, it was very, very Pretty similar, similar yeah. yeah. Like, Illinois gets a bad rep because of Chicago, but, like, once you go south of Springfield, which is the capital, I mean, it's pretty much. See Homer Simpson there? No, I did not. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think there's more than one Springfield. Oh, my bad. I just wanted to ask that question. Uh, but continue. once you get to Southern Illinois, I mean, it's it's the same. Prices are a lot higher. Like, I remember as soon as I crossed the border in Illinois, gas prices shot through the roof just because of Chicago. Hmm. That's crazy. Juco ball. Where You went to what what Front, school? Frontier Community College. I remember you showing up wearing that shirt now that you I say that. proud to say that I went there. I was on the very first ever team there. Really? How was that? Um, I redshirted. So, luckily – because uh, that was the year that I had TJ. so Tommy John, translation. Yep, Tommy John. He's had an elbow reconstruction surgery is the proper, I guess, term for it. Which is really hard to come back from. Yeah, so I was, I pitched, I hit, had surgery, came back and did everything I had to do just to hit. Hmm. Yeah. So you uh, you went through some trials and tribulations there. I didn't know you had Tommy John, dude. You've seen my tattoo. He has the tattoo, the the baseball tattoo. I'm drawing a blank. One thing for our listeners, uh, a big thing with um, baseball guys, if if you're not familiar with Tommy John or elbow reconstruction surgery, it's uh, whenever you're basically your elbow gives out on you, make a long story short, your elbow gives out on you, you can't throw anymore, you can't basically move it, um, and you got to go in and have surgery, and it leaves a scar right along basically your upper bicep or your upper uh, forearm to your lower bicep. And a lot of the guys will go get a tattoo because it looks like a baseball seam, and they'll put the laces along the scar. And so that's a pretty popular thing, and Trey has it. So as soon as I saw it, I was like, ooh, he's a TJ guy. <laughs> I wanted to get a smiley face. I wanted to put two dots above it and then just like a black line at the end, black line at the end. <laughs> but my mom wouldn't let me. It's like the one thing, the one tattoo she's had like the most input in. She's like, think of all the hours and hard work and blah, blah, blah that went into that scar. You need to get seams. That's, that's, I get that. I agree yeah. with that. But I want a smiley face. <laughs> <laughs> so bouncing back from Tommy John, you start playing at this Juco. Um, you were a lot, no, take this the wrong way, you were a lot smaller guy. Oh, well, I got fat after TJ. Yeah. I got fat. I remember you showed me pictures. Yeah. I mean, you can't do nothing for the first however long. You can't run. You can't do nothing. All I did was eat. You developed a strong sense of work ethic, though. From it, uh, bouncing back. Oh, I got lucky. My junior college coach was straight out of the Air Force. Well, I mean, he wasn't straight out, but he was in the Air Force for, I don't know, eight years or so. So, I mean, he was hard-nosed discipline. You're either buying in completely or he basically got rid of you. So, I mean, that's why a lot of guys, you hear them, they're like, they either love JUCO or they absolutely hate it. Mm -hmm. But it's the the buy-in or it's the you're getting out. So, basically, when the team went to lift, I went to the treadmill. Okay. So I went from like 250 down to like 190 and then slowly built it up from there. Did he bring a lot of the military uh, aspects to his, the way he ran that program and ran things? Oh, yeah. Our very first practice, we did punishment running, so we knew what the punishment running was. Mm, we did that in high school, too. I never did that. So we did that um, every Monday morning at 5 a.m. We ran a mile to start our week. Um, my freshman year, we ran for an hour and 45 minutes straight because he got mad at us, and he, we were going to run till someone quit. And the only reason he had to go home is because his wife called him and said dinner was ready. 
Wow. Nobody quit. What a Nobody quit. That's a great coach. But I'd be like this motherfucker when I was. I mean, yeah, that's pretty much how it was. Yeah. Like, so, like, my freshman year, we had, I don't know, 20-something freshmen. My sophomore year, we had six sophomores. Dang, 14 guys left? Yeah, they were like, I'm out of here. Yeah. Did they transfer somewhere else or they just don't play ball? Uh, it was kind of a mix. Mm. I hate when that happens to guys. I don't know. I see – college for me, like, and both of y'all can attest, my college story is a whole lot different than a lot of people's. It was a lot of uh, character building and learning and, and <laughs> trials and tribulations for sure. But for my whole career, it was – I needed a coach to, like, stay on me. I mean, Ride your ass. Not exactly in that saying, but um, stay on me. <laughs> and uh, and whenever I had those coaches, you know, my travel ball coach, he was one of those guys where I think it's big that, you know, you will chew a player out. I think that is very important that you can chew them out. And then whenever they come up to bat next or, you know, next time, you know, they go out on the field, you slap them on the butt and be like, all right, bud, let's go get them. I mean, and they know that you're their biggest fan, but their hardest critique is because as a coach, you can look around and you can see your players and you can be like, that guy's got it. That guy's got it. That guy's got it. That guy wants it, but he ain't got it. But he could have it if he pushes himself a little bit harder. And I've, I just, I always was that guy where like I had it. And whenever I had that coach that was on me, I was playing the best ball of my life. But whenever I had a coach that was, you know, laid back and it was like, all right, it's up to you. Like I wanted it, but I needed a coach to just, like pounded into bite mark. Yeah, pounded into bite Like we're winning. We're winning. We're winning. We're winning. There's no other choice but we're winning. And just pound that into my brain. And like it creates a psyching environment around a whole team where it's like we have a standard. And if you do not live up to this standard, you're gone. And it it completely changes a whole team's aspect. And I'm sure y'all have been on teams like that where it's like there's a standard here. If you're not here, the whole team is pulling you up or you're gone. I think that can be taken into any context, too, whether that be work. Um, you're a coach now for a college, so I'm sure you use that kind of aspect in your coaching style. Um, and I think if you develop that, that character with inside yourself, you can become successful in a lot of different things, um, especially in the work environment. You know, if you have the accountability to pull yourself up, all the people around you that are working, too, will pull themselves up, too. Um I think that's really cool that you touched on that. And I forgot to mention that you are our college coach now, so can't wait to see how later in the episode that kind of ties into your coaching style. But back on track here, after you went to JUCO, you signed a Division One scholarship and played at Murray State, the Racers. Correct. Um, it was the only Division One offer I had. Okay. I had some other D1 interest, walk-on interest. I blew a Big Ten opportunity. I, uh, I posted a... Facebook profile picture of me chugging two beers, and it was uh, it was Rutgers. So like I wouldn't have been able to afford it anyway. Yeah, this is yeah. In New Jersey. Yeah. It's sixty thousand dollars at the time to go there. Plus, you know, Jersey costs like three thousand dollars a month. I'm from a small town in Kentucky where you know you make fifty thousand. That's you're rolling. Yeah, out. yeah. Uh, but they called their coach and was like, "Hey, uh, we're really interested, but he's chugging beer online, so uh, we're out." Yeah, that's a that's a good learning lesson, though. You know, for any of the young players watching this episode or listening to this episode, it does haunt you. Yeah. I remember when I was at a JUCO showcase one time in high school, there was a uh, coach telling us that exact same story. He said he had a guy that was like 93 to 94 off the mound, and he was a professional draft pick, um, didn't get drafted as high as he wanted to, and was set to come to this JUCO college. 
I think it was like two weeks before they were supposed to report onto campus, he had posted, he was like 20 at the time, and he had posted him drinking a bottle of some liquor um, in an apartment somewhere back home, and the coach got wind of it, cut, it, cut the kid from a scholarship. And he just so happened to offer this kid that was coming off an injury that went on to become his back-to-back conference player of the year. So you never know who's chomping at the bits to get that opportunity. you got to be smart, especially if you do like to drink. Like, I'm not saying don't do it. I mean, we all can, we all had our fun in college. It's a yeah. part of the experience. But, like, be smart about it. Don't, don't go be posting all that stuff. It comes back and bites you in the butt, not only in baseball, but it can bite you in the butt when you're looking for that future job opportunity or that future coaching opportunity. You never know what somebody can dig up from your past. Yeah, like you were saying, like, be smart about it. Like, everybody knows in college some of the best life lessons you learn are in college, and a lot of times there's alcohol involved. Yeah, And I feel like that's a lot of times, like, as young men, you have to have a little bit that a little bit of that wild stage to become the best man you can, you know, and I feel like all of us have been through that where it's like, we might've had our party days. We, you know, we might've, you know, done it up big and this and that, but we learn from it. And you, sometimes you just got to go through it. And like you said, you know, anything you post on the internet, it's there. Like even with the show, we mentioned last episode, you know, the farmer wants a wife show. I made a couple mistakes got arrested we talked about that in my story episode um check but, the archives episode yes. 26 yeah it's uh you know nathan's story or whatever that we talked about that in uh, that episode but when i got arrested even going through this whole interview process with the show that came up yeah and that is five years ago and it's something that i it's i still have to deal with and it's a decision that i made one night when i was 19 years old and it you know, I don't. I wouldn't say it will haunt me for the rest of my life, but it's out there for the rest of my life, and there's no taking it back. And that's a lesson that I had to learn the hard way. And you come back from it, and you learn from it, and you don't ever try to necessarily hide it. You know, it makes you who you are. But it's one of those situations where you know the whole Rucker situation or whatever, and it's it's that's that's a big thing. That's a life changing moment. That is like okay, either you can jump on board and go do something with your life, or you can you know stick around and do the same scumbag stuff. I feel like it's all about perspective too. You know, when bad things happen to somebody, you can have the perspective of like, oh, this just ruined my life. You never can bounce back from it. Or you can have this perspective, kind of like me with my mistake that I talked about in episode 27 in my story. Um, go back and check it out. Um, my perspective was everything kind of happens for a reason. And, you know, Trey, I'd hate that you lost your Big Ten opportunity and your Power Five opportunity, but I'm sure you wouldn't trade it anything in the world for your Murray experience that you had. No, it was unbelievable. I'm sure. Um, hitting three home runs in one weekend at the number one team in the country's field. I'm on, bro. Yeah, yeah. We've all seen those videos. Um, that wouldn't have happened if, you know, you didn't – you took the offer with Rutgers. Uh, I think it's all about perspective. Um, Side note, just we can cut this back no. and uh, Just for our listeners um, – <clears throat> if you want to look up that video, it's uh, Arkansas against Murray State, Trey Woosley, and he hits three bombs against yeah. the number one team in the country. That it's was pretty the, legit. Uh, that it's was a little legit. snippet that Brian was saying. Yeah, it's pretty I'm legit. It's pretty <laughs> legit. I'd be bragging about it too. Um, but back to what I was saying, like just the perspective. Uh, 
everything happens for a reason. If you live by that, feel like you can take learning lessons from your negative experiences, right? And then turn those negative experiences into something positive. Kind of like how me and you have on our journey. And I'm sure you have too. And you have stories like that too. I mean, when I remember my coach called me and he MF'd me so hard on the phone. Because he cared. And this and that. I went back to like, I went back all the way through Twitter, Facebook. I'm talking about from the time I got it, I was like, okay, what else looks stupid on here? What else looks stupid on here? And then just was like, okay, this is kind of dumb. I'm going to delete this. This is kind of dumb. I'm going to delete this. Not that I posted a lot because, I mean, I still don't post a lot. You know what I heard from a college coach one time? I uh, I can't remember where I heard this from. It was in my recruiting process. And I believe I was at a camp that my trouble ball program um, was putting on, and all these college coaches would go- come to the camp. And, you know, anybody come in. I mean, these are some – top-ranked players in the country, like high-end camp. And uh, this college coach that was working with the outfitters who I was with, and he goes, y'all want to know one of the biggest things that, like, we look for, on like, in a player? He goes, outside of, like, athletic ability. He goes, we'll go on their social media. He goes, one, we'll look to see if they're acting like a knucklehead. And two, we look at their profile picture. And if their profile picture is, you know, a respectable picture, like, okay, if they're dating someone, they'll look and be like, okay, that's a good-looking girl. And you're like, eh, he could do better. <laughs> and it says, and he said this, he said, they look at the girlfriend and be like, if they think that he could do better, that means his confidence isn't up. That means he's not pursuing the best possibilities. That means he's not pushing himself to the highest potential. And that's what he said. And he was like, we judge them by some of their girlfriends. If they don't look that great. Man, they talk about that in Moneyball. Yeah, yeah, they the do. Movie. Yeah, they do. When all the scouts are around the table. I believe it was a USC Upstate or something like UNC Upstate or something like that. They were a green and camouflage team. But I remember that to this day. He said, we look on, if they have a girlfriend, we look to see how good their girlfriends look because that judges the standard of the guy's expectations for himself. Man, that's that's smart. Kind of sexist. No, it's a, it's a little sexist and, you know, it's a little biased there and that's just one coach saying it, but it, you know, it made me I think. See the, I see the point of it though. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's, that's kind of guy talk, but I, I heard that and I'm like, man, I said, it makes sense. It's kind of terrible, but it makes sense yeah. and where it's like, okay, if the guy is pushing himself to the very top limits, I mean, and he's one of the, you know, studs at his high school, then he should be dating the prettiest girl or whatever, which... Kind of like an alpha male type thing. Did you go home and break up with your girlfriend? <laughs> no, I was single. <laughs> but all, I, I went through and looked at my Instagram. Like, am I doing any knucklehead things? Nope. All right, I'm good to go. Changed my profile picture, though, to make me look jacked. Come on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, you started at Murray. That was your junior and senior year, right? Fall of 2019 was when I got there. Okay. Um... How was that experience playing Division One baseball? Me and Nate, we can't really relate to that. We put in an A ball. Uh, I remember showing up. It was the first locker room I ever had. It was like my high school didn't have a locker room. Junior college didn't have a locker room. So I walked in the locker room. Warner damn sure didn't have a locker room. I never had a locker room except for high school football. So I mean, even though Murray was in Kentucky, I'd only been there once for a camp in high school or something like that. So like I didn't even go on a visit because I was playing summer ball when I committed. So I show up day one with my parents, and they take us on the tour, and we go in the locker room, and I was like, oh, my goodness, this is so sweet. Room. There's a ping-pong table. There's two couches. This is awesome. They took me in the weight room because this is when I was really big into lifting. I walked in almost cried because I was like, this place. It's Mecca. There was 20 racks 
all the way down, all the way back, lots of room, dumbbells up to 150. I was like, oh. This is back when you were inspiring to be a bodybuilder. Yeah. Yeah, I remember those days. So, But, I mean, honestly, it was kind of weird because um, you show up, and even though you're a junior, you're still a new guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're going through that phase where all these dudes that have been here for three-ish years, two to three years, they already have their friend group, and you're just trying to, like. They already have that camaraderie. Yeah, you're trying to figure out which group you belong with. But I remember when I got there, I walked up, and I was like, all right, who's the strongest guy on the team? And they told me. I was like, I walked up to him, and I said, you're my lifting partner. That's what I did to you when you got here. Yeah, and then that backfired on me. We was changing the weight too much. Sorry. I was about to say. No, I wasn't, I just, I wasn't the strongest guy. I was like, I'm just going to lift with the strongest guy, and he looks like the strongest guy. Kind of pushed myself. Didn't really work. Yeah, but I um, remember that. Every time we do conditioning and you had to call someone out, like he and I called each other out because we were just the bigger guys. But, uh, I mean, it was funny, too, because like, when you get there, all the, all the transfers come in earlier, like, I mean, like three days earlier, just to go through stuff. And this one guy was like, yeah, I was getting recruited by, like, South Carolina, blah, 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 this and that. And I was like, dude, I don't care. You're here. I'm this here, too. My, this was my one offer. Like, yeah. we're in the same place. I don't care about your history. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have that when they go play college ball, anywhere, any sport. Yeah. I mean, it's – the problem is there's – I mean, you know, and I feel guilty to it, too. It's, you know, like, for instance – well, like we were just saying, like I had bigger offers than Warner University, but at the same time, I went in and I was excited to play because it was the reason why I picked Warner was for my education solely is I wanted to go get an agriculture degree. And that was what something that I was passionate about. And that's what I wanted to do. And even going back, I wouldn't even go to any of them other schools. I had a fantastic time at my four years at Warner. One, learned a bunch of stuff, got to play a little bit of baseball got the degree that I wanted. And, you know, I look back, I'm, you know, we've all kind of talked about this where, you know, I try not to live anything by regrets and looking at my time at Warner, you know, everything that I went through, you know, it happened for a reason. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people like looking back at their college experience, you were there for that reason. Like you went to that school because you belonged at that school. Not necessarily because of your talent, not necessarily because of other factors attributing to how good you are on the baseball field, but just kind of how you fit in there. And believe it or not, God's placed you there too. And like I said, I've told me and Nate have had countless conversations about this. Warner was a perfect place for me too. I didn't go to Warner out of high school. I went to a smaller, or actually a bigger school down in South Florida. I just didn't fit in down there. I was like a turd in a punch bowl. Like, it really, it really was. Like, 90% of the student body was from, like, Michigan. And I'm, they're like, from, I had six roommates from Detroit at one point. Like, the inner city of Detroit. And here I am from a one red light town. It just didn't work. Um, and then I was looking for new schools to go to. Came and visited Warner, met Coach Sykes, met Coach Mo, um, And, you know, committed. And I never looked back. I fit in really well there. Met. You two great gentlemen met some really good lifelong friends there. Um, ended up meeting my long-term girlfriend now too. Um, there and it, it was kind of like the perfect place for me. Um, I'm sure that's how you feel about Murray too. Yeah, I mean, I loved Murray, but when people ask me where I go to school, I, I mean, I say I went to Warner. Like I really, I fit in so much better. My overall experience. I think was just a lot better at Warner. Um, it's because when I got to Murray, I was one of 
the coaches like dudes. Mm-hmm. Like I was one of the guys. I struggled early, but I was one of the dudes. And then COVID hit. Went and played summer ball. Because the summer I actually met my fiance. So, I mean, it was like the best summer ever. It was COVID in North Dakota didn't exist. Did not exist. It was, it was here in Central Florida too. It was amazing. So, and then I come back. Granted, in North Dakota, I was drinking probably four or five nights a week just because. You're in North Dakota. Ain't nothing yeah, else there's to do. nothing else to do. That's you got I, that. Like, the highest alcohol state in America. But, so I come back. Sounds like John Pitchman. I am, like, bottom of the barrel with, like, like that. Like, I left being one of the dudes, come back, boom, bottom of the barrel. I was like, what happened? Like, his demeanor towards me totally changed, this and that. I mean, it was still fun. Had fun with the guys, uh. But it was I was starting to lose that love for baseball towards the end. Mm-hmm. I get that. I've been there. Yeah. So, I mean, when I left Murray, I had like I went to play summer ball and I stayed there for a week and I left and I was like, I'm just kind of done. Like I'm content with my career. This is what it is. Greta was moving to Florida. I was like, I'll just move to Florida and be a personal trainer because this is when I was really big into the bodybuilding. Yeah. At this point. So I was like, I'll just move to Florida with you. She was moving to Daytona to work at uh, Riddle. Henry Riddle. To be the athletic trainer. So I was like, I'll move to Daytona with you. I'll be a personal trainer. There's a gold gym there. I was like, it'll be perfect. And then we went on like a three-week-long road trip. Not three weeks. Yeah, about so. Went from Virginia to Kentucky to Wyoming to Colorado to Texas back to Kentucky. But when we got home from Texas. It's a lot of driving. Yeah, it is. It is a lot of driving. It was fun. Got back from Texas. I put... My mom had put my first baseman's mitt on my bed, and I put it on. Bald. I was like, I got one year left. I need to play. (laughs) So, I mean, Greta encouraged me, which was the nice part. Uh, I mean, I don't think she necessarily wanted me to play, but she wasn't going to be like, come come with me, you know. So, I'm thankful for that. that, Like, she, like, let me go do that. And I told her, I said, I'll find the cheapest, closest option to you. And I emailed Mo. That's how I ended up at Warner. And that's how you met us. <laughs> yeah, and I know. And before we get into a little bit of uh, of Warner University stories and this time uh, that we've had with Trey, we're going to take a quick ad break, and uh, we'll be right back. Solid, solid ad break there. I'm hoping that one day we can get Buffalo Trace on that on that mix. That'd be cool. Yeah, you know, we're uh, we're thankful to anybody that uh, sponsors yes. us, that sees the dream, um, and that wants to help us along our way. Um, but like we were saying, you know, we were talking about Warner University um, and your time coming in, and we've spoke a little bit about how we've met you and some of the stories. Um, you know, how how was that transition moving from, you know, the cold part of the country to Florida where you sweat your butt off all the time? 24-7. Well, I was lucky to find a place to live. I was texting Mo, I'm talking about until like a week before I got down here. I can't find a place to live. Because I was used to like $300 a month for rent. Welcome to Florida. Every place down here was seven dollars I was like, I can't afford that. Yeah. I cannot afford that. So luckily enough, found O Camp in. <laughs> Pulled a camper all the way from Kentucky. It was actually wonderful. It was just like a little studio apartment. I was the only one that lived in there around a bunch of old people. But no, the hardest, I mean, going to the weather, that was the hardest thing. Like, because I'm a big shower in the morning person and shower thank you mm-hmm. big shower in the morning person and you walk outside at 8 a.m and it's just 
you're wet. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I've, I mean, other than, like, going to church or things like that, like, I try not to wear jeans down here because I'm going to sweat through them. Yeah, I wear jeans all the time. I guess I'm just used, used to, to it. it dude. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I could wear them now, but, like, when I first got down here, I was like, I need to wear shorts every single day. It's funny that you bring that up. I remember Coach Mo, one of our assistant coaches at the time, reaching out to me. And I don't know if he reached out to you or not. And he was asking, he's like, hey, I've got this transfer coming in. Is there any way you're going to find a spot for him at the house that you're living at? I was like, well, I live in a pantry. So, like, and the other two already have rooms. And I don't think they're going to share. So, I don't know really where we're going to put him. I guess he could live in the living room. And I was like, I'll keep looking for other options. Yeah, side note. Uh, and I think we might have talked about this, but it might have been really early on. When Brian and I were in college, um, my buddy Garrett or our buddy Garrett <laughs> um, were living in this double wide mobile home. Um, and, uh, and he basically it's two bedroom and there, I guess it's technically like a sewing room. Like if that might just be a Florida thing, but in old homes, there's like just kind of like a smaller, when I say it's, it's fairly close to, it's pretty much like a walk-in closet that has a closet. Yeah. And and that's the room I originally moved into this house. And it's got these old pantry doors where you like swing it and it folds back. And uh and so I was living in there and and then our other roommate moved out and we were looking for a roommate and Brian moved in. I was like, I am getting out of the pantry. So uh <laughs> we uh we nicknamed that and so that's kind of It was what, cozy, man. That was awesome. I had my own little my own little rat hole in it, there. Yeah, it was it was nice. Yeah, that fits you perfect. It did. It was awesome. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Trey practically lived at the house whenever uh, we were living there. I mean, he was pretty much there at, between every class and hanging out. And so it was kind of cool. The uh, At first when, the, you know, Trey came in, I was like, who is this guy and why is he here all the time? And I was like, you know, he seems like he's nice. He's like that but lost puppy we couldn't get rid of. Like, I'd, I'd get home from class and Trey just be... Sitting on the couch, like by himself. Off, yeah, like just walks in and hang out. And I'm I mean, like, you can only do so much in a camper. <laughs> so you're like, oh, I gotta get the heck out of here. And, and I don't live the closest, and I I like y'all, so it just worked out. It did work out. <laughs> it was funny. We uh we all have a lot of memories together, and we've we had a ball at Warner. Um, and you know, won a lot of games, had a great opportunity to be able to play college baseball. Uh, but after that, you uh you actually decided to go play independent ball. Um, and y'all were, were y'all affiliated? It's technically, it was technically an MLB partner league. So we weren't affiliated, but it was associated with major league baseball. Okay. Okay. Well, I guess. So you played associated ball. I mean, you can call it wherever the heck you want to call it. I mean. It's a frontier league, man. That's big time. It was a frontier league. Yeah. I mean, I don't think the listeners, this would be a fun fact for the listeners. I was on the worst professional baseball team in the history of professional baseball. <laughs> you want to tell us your record? Six and 90. Oh, my gosh. Can you <laughs> imagine you losing that? 90 no. games oh, in a it season? Was we went 0-35 to start the year. The, the The record to start a season was 0-38. We had Sports Illustrated, the New York Times, all these people calling our owner and our GM trying to do a story because they wanted to – I mean, Cover the worst team ever. Yeah, they wanted to do it negatively, and our owners were like, no, like, if you want to, like, show how, like, we have, like, the youngest team in professional baseball and this and that. We're trying. We're trying. But, I mean, I couldn't tell you how many games we got to the ninth inning, and it was like, all right, here we go, and then it'd be like, shoot. Something goes wrong. The wheels fall off the bus. 
So going through all of that, I mean, I know that's tough because coming off a good season with Warner um, and then going to losing several games in a row. It's, I'm sure you had a ball in it. It was awesome being able to play professionally. Um, but that's got to take a toll on you. And I'm sure that kind of kick started where it's like, okay, what am I doing after this now? Well, I mean, it, the hardest thing about pro ball, and then I've told lots of people this, is it's so self-oriented. Like you go from college where it's team oriented, everything is for us. We are united in this, and then you go play pro ball, and it's you're on the same team, but you're fighting against each other mm-hmm. for a spot. Like I've like, had a coach tell me that too. That played a lot of pro ball. Yeah, so like you, the team aspect, it looks good if you all win, but if you suck as a team, but you do good, like f y'all. I'm sure it's probably magnified there too, because everybody's still trying to fight for their chance to grab that last you know, single-A roster spot or that last, you know, affiliated roster spot, too. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I loved it. Met some great guys. You played for the Empire State Grace, by the way, which is a team that plays nothing but road games. Yeah, that I see a lot of guys hated it. I didn't. The hardest part was unpacking and packing every three days. That's the only part I didn't like. But I loved being in a new city every three, four days. Got to go to Canada for the first time. That was electric. You go to Quebec City, Quebec. <laughs> love that place, except it's French everything. So, you know, being down here at Warner, it was the first time I was around a lot of Spanish. So yeah. I got used to Spanish. You hear French for the first time, you're like, what is this? I don't know what this is. Yeah. And they're like, sounds like they're yelling at you, right? It sounds like, I tell people, I describe French as it sounds like people trying to speak, but they're choking at the same time. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I know that, uh, shoot. Mercy is either thank you or you're welcome. I don't know which one. It's one of those. Is two. it mercy? Like M-E-R-C-Y. I think that's how you would pronounce it in English, like mercy. Oh, okay. But there's, I don't know, it's French. <laughs> <laughs> so you played in Canada. You played in Chicago, right? Some of the bigger cities you played in. Uh, yeah, my first ever game was in Chicago. Um Quebec City, Quebec, pretty much New York City. Um, you saw some big time places, yeah, some big, nice. some big history, like baseball history places. Yeah, it was, uh, it was fun. It was nice. I, uh, I mean, by the end of it, I mean, you play fifty something college games. You play another seventy something pro games. I mean, by the last day of the game, I was like, Tired. all right, I can't do this. I got to face Robbie Rowe. I got to face Kumar Rock. You got to put on his freaking TikTok, dude. I know. I missed my hanging curveball. Don't get me started. Um, what was it? Oh, pancakes. 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 You just, I'm, I'm a peop- person of the people. This is what I was just giving them. I tipped my hat to him. Like, you're welcome. Can I have a coupon? Did you know that story? No, but I was going to ask about the Kumar Rocker deal. I didn't realize you faced him. What is the story with Kumar Rocker? And for you baseball fans that don't know, huge prospect in my class. Like, I think he was number one or number two in my 2018 class coming out of high school. Went to Vanderbilt. Absolute stud. Goes, gets drafted by the Mets. First round, like, multi-multi-million dollar deal. Boom. Never signs a contract. Something with his health. Shoulder. He felt a physical with his shoulder. They were concerned about his shoulder. So he didn't sign, I think had surgery. So he played indie ball, only had like six, seven starts just to show himself in 
professional baseball, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then got drafted like third overall by the Rangers. Oh, he did get picked back yeah. up. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah, he's in the Rangers. So him and Leiter, who were at Vanderbilt together, are yeah. the top two prospects in the pitching prospects in the Rangers organization now. Yeah, I didn't realize that because I remembered I was watching the draft. I was a big Braves fan. I've talked about that, and I saw Kumar went to uh, the Mets, and uh, our buddy Danny, who also coaches, Danny's been on the podcast before. Our uh, Florida man, you'll look through see episode, episode six. Go watch it. Um, you know all these by memory. Yeah, dude, um, yeah. 50 people. I just, anyways, um, Danny coaches with uh, Trey at, at Warner, and uh, and I, Danny instantly texted me. He's like, Kumar to the Mets. And I said, don't get me started. And then I texted him back. I said, Kumar, shoulder, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and he was like, oh, man, whatever. But I guess he's now with the Rangers. I always, like, I never heard anything after it. And so it's cool that you faced him, though. I flew out to the left. I flew out to the right. Oh, you went over two? Went over two. Guess what? One for one off Kumar Rocker lifetime right here, bud. Yeah. Sitting in this chair, he was like he was like sixteen, playing up against eighteen year olds. We were at Lake Point in Georgia. I don't remember what team he was playing for, but I just remember that he was this big kid. He was sixteen years old, and I'm talking about there was probably fifty to sixty scouts sitting at this Lake Point venue in Georgia behind the plate. I'm like, man, I'm gonna show off today. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get drafted today, and uh, I'm catching him having a good game, whatever. He starts, and like this was the summer. Like it just sticks with me. I didn't hit. I couldn't hit water if I fell out of the boat in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. I'd hit sand, um, and I'm going to the plate. What is with all these references? <laughs> I'm going to the plate, and I'm going to hit. I'm stepping in the box, and I think I'm kind of glad I didn't know who he was at the time because I would have been you know, scared shitless. But uh, he grooves one. like this is He's 16, mind you. He grooves one like 88 right down the middle, and I hit one about 96 right up the gut, right up the middle off of him. Line driving to center field. Yeah, dude, I felt like, I was like, where's my where's my freaking pro contract at, boys? So I come around first base, and I got my pitch runner because I'm a catcher. I go back to the dugout and talk my shit. And uh, next at bat, he's still in the mounts, his last inning. Mind you, he's only given up one hit. Me. And, uh, I need these receipts. <laughs> me. And I go back up the next time. He starts me off with a slider. I swear, dude. I swung three times before it got to the plate. Um, and then he throws one about 91, like right underneath my chin. And I go 1-1. One, one. And then I was scared the rest of the at bat because I had never seen anything that hard before. And he K'd me so – it was so embarrassing. Like, all the scouts behind the plate were laughing. Like, literally laughing after that at bat. I'd look back. They were writing down their clipboard. This guy made this other guy look embarrassed. It's on video and everything. It was so bad. So he uh, went for two, lifetime off of him. Um, so, yeah. Beat that, fool. You got your professional baseball. I got a hit off Kumar Rocker. Can't, can't take that away from me. I cannot take that from you. No, I'm still waiting to see the video. I got a video. It's on my phone. We're recording with it. I'll show you to you after the pod. Don't worry, we'll we'll air it on the episode. If right. it's not on the episode, it doesn't exist. Okay. <laughs> the weirdest thing about him, so he's not in the video. It's just a video of me hitting. I was hitting four hole. He goes one, two, three, strikeout, 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 and I was like, "All right, I'm leading off the next inning. I cannot strike out." And of course, I've seen him at Vandy's ninety eight, ninety nine. So I am, I'm geared up for a fastball. He's only like second inning, ninety three, ninety four. So I'm kind of early. I'm like, what? 
What's going on here? So I fly out to the left and uh, face him again in like the fifth. We start hitting him a little bit. There comes the 98-99. Started reaching back in them legs. He saved it for the fifth and sixth inning. And I remember my first pitch, I was like, that was was a little bit harder. That's pretty pretty quick. The first time, have you ever heard people talk about how it looks like a ball rises? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not with Kumar, but playing pro ball, it was the first time I ever experienced it looking like a ball rise. It was the most crazy thing. Because have you seen that uh, documentary called Fastball? I have not. Uh, it's the one where they talk about Nolan Ryan throwing like a hundred. Oh points. yeah, yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that. And they talk about it rising. My, I remember like it was. If you thought it was going to be at your ankles, you had to swing. If it was anything higher than that, you had to let it go. I was a little guy, so everything was at my chin when I was playing ball. Everything. I'm, I'm only five ten, little guy, small guy. Anyways, back on track. <laughs> So any ball was great. You actually had a great opportunity and uh, finished up playing any ball. You got a high school choke, high school, high school choking job, high school coaching job in uh, in Texas, and you got to be able to uh, kind of get your foot in the door with coaching. Um, started a TikTok while you were there and uh, had a couple videos do really well um, and established yourself and kind of got a niche there. Um, you want to talk a little bit about how that opportunity came in? You know, I didn't. Uh, I didn't necessarily plan on coaching there. Ne- as long as I as I did, I was just like, okay, where we're moving has a high school. I'm just gonna say, hey, I'll come out. Like I play pro ball. Like, I, can I work out at the facilities? I'll help you all out here and there. I just, you know, I just need a place to basically train until next season because my plan was to keep playing. And then uh, in Texas, because there's so many professional athletes in Texas you have to work full-time for the school. So I'm subbing, thinking that, like, that would be my my full-time kind of gig that would let me coach. Principal calls me, and he's like, hey, if you want to uh, if you want to coach, I have a teaching job for you. And I was like, well, I never really thought about being a teacher, but if this is the only way I can coach, and I guess I can kind of start making a little bit of money. So that was the that's kind of the end of the playing days. Decided, I was like, all right, well. Time to uh, settle down with the old lady and. Uh, what were you? What were you teaching? Dog. Special ed. Dog, if I'd have walked into your class, I saw you as my teacher. But look, dog, we ain't learning shit today. This guy's here to party with us. I had the special ed kids, man. So they were there to have a good time with they you. They were, yeah. I had a great time with them. It was fun. I'm sure. Yeah, I was supposed to say. I know a lot of people. No, do that's that. what people look at you whenever you walk yeah, in you as your lying. substitute. You ain't lying. U.S. history. All right, I'll kick back and uh, take a little you, nap. You put on some Shane Gillis and be like, all right, listen to what he says. All right, guys, we're going to learn how to edit a podcast today. So sit back and just be quiet. That's kind of my rule. No, the teaching part sucked. I ain't going to lie. So their kids are so like, bad, bro. I didn't mind being with my special needs kids. Like, that part was fine. Going out into the actual, like, population, the regular population of student, so bad. Dude, it is. I hated it. I've we had, had, like, no dress code. I was very uncomfortable 90% of the time just being, like, the young man on campus. I was very uncomfortable. And then just, like, I mean, like, they acted like they wanted to be your friend. I don't want to be your friend. You're no. 15 years old. Yeah. Dude, I've so I did some teaching too before I started my new job here, which will be my day 3 by the time this airs. Um and I had 6th grade, right? So I had the group of kids I was in 3rd grade when COVID hit. 
like very, very developmental year. You learn how to read and write. You learn how to respond to questions. You learn how to do classroom etiquette, stuff like that. Dude, these kids that I had, I mean, granted, they were good kids. Like they were always in a good mood, always there to, you know, they were nice, somewhat respectful. Some of them were little shits. Um, but when it came to like the actual reading comprehension of, you know, work, stuff like that, it was just out of the window. Like there was such a big drop off there. And man, I, I, my parents, well, my dad's an athletic director, used to be a teacher. My mom's still a teacher. I'm fully on board with teachers need to be paid more. Like they, that needs to be a six figure your job nowadays for people to deal with. I mean, it's getting to the point where it's almost babysitting. It it literally is. It literally is. I've been in, I was in the classroom for six months. That's all I felt like I did. So let me ask you this: Both of y'all have been in, I guess, the new generation. I've went to prep school my whole entire life, and you know, people pick on me, but it is what it is. Even a private college. Why do you think? nowadays the kids are the way that they are or or do you think when you were young you were just oblivious to it um i'll let Brad go first i i think it's so i've talked to other teachers who are literally about this topic i've literally asked them that same question i was like was my was my group this bad and every teacher i've talked to about it they've responded no not even close i personally think it's social media, right? Um, you're getting people that are glorified to be, you know, wild, obnoxious troublemakers and making millions of dollars on social media to do outlandish stuff to catch attention. And these kids have grown up um, seeing that stuff, seeing how those people get that attention and get these endorsements. They get these, you know, big views. They get all these opportunities from acting like a jackass sometimes on a phone. And I think these kids are taking that in and thinking, well, man, I can do that too. Well, why don't I just start doing this? Why would I care about, you know, what president signed this bill into effect? Or why would I care about what this reading comprehension teacher is trying to teach me um, when I can just go on my phone right after school and make a dumb video of me kicking somebody else where they shouldn't be kicked and get 3,000 views and then scream a tagline into a phone screen and be making money off of that one day. I think I think that's kind of the combination of COVID, them being off and at home for a year with their parents, not really having too much responsibility school-wise and academic-wise, and the combination of social media coming to, you know, a mix there. Um, I think that's kind of the big problem that's arising. I think a big thing like what you said is there's there's just not simple enough respect from kids nowadays, mm-hmm. too. And that could be, you know, it is, it's a big thing with parents now it's kids start acting up at dinner here's an ipad you know literally, throw it in literally. Their and it's is whatever i have to do to get you to shut up mm-hmm. basically and i honestly think it comes down to the parenting and this is my personal opinion on what you say and i'll say what you say later um but honestly i think it's a lot of our generation with 
know, technology and everything. And they can throw it into a kid's face. And as long as they are quiet, then they're okay. They're being a good boy. But you have absolutely no clue what this kid is intaking at that time. None. You know, like, I feel like we were the generation that were just getting on to the social media trend. I was about to bring where, that up. Like, we were growing up, and I, when I wanted to have fun, I went outside. Yeah, same. And there was, like, I had a PlayStation 2 growing up. I, I had a PlayStation 2. I had a Wii. Like, we were blessed. We had video My games. own personal opinion, I think PlayStation 2 is the best PlayStation of all time. <laughs> 100%. Um PS3, fellas? But no, 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 And it, we won't get on that topic. Way <laughs> off topic. Um, but we had that and my family as a family bonding thing. Another year we got a Wii for Christmas. That was a family bonding thing because we had four remotes. We went, we played tennis, we played baseball. You know, we did all the games together, but we weren't necessarily allowed to play on our own. You know, when I got a little older, I played on my own here and there, but... I always was rooted in if you want to have fun, you go outside. You yeah, know, you same. get in nature. And I feel like a lot of these kids nowadays, well, hell, to be quite frank, you look at the size of them, they're not getting outside. Outside. So you wouldn't believe how many of the kids that I have. I say, hey, guys, what are you doing after school today? Just a like small talk at the end of class. Fortnite. Going home to play Fortnite. Going home to play Call of Duty. Going home to play GTA. I'm like, guys, go outside. Why would I do that? I can just hang out with. So and so on the other end of the mic, and we can just play video games all night. Why would I go outside? Um, that's a good topic or good thing you brought up. Good point. Our group, this, we'll just say 23 to 27 year old, we I would, were. I would go like even 19. Mm, I wouldn't go that year. Yeah, because Instagram came out my seventh grade year of middle school. The lowest and I would go would be 21. Fifth, and Facebook came out when I was in, I believe, sixth grade. Instagram was either seventh or eighth grade. We were that last group, I feel like, that didn't have tablets and all of this over-sensory media shoved into our face as little kids when like, we needed to behave or we needed to act right. We got disciplined. Wow. We got sent outside to go play wiffle ball or football or something like that. Nowadays, like you said, you just hand a tablet to a kid and be quiet. They're behaving. That wasn't the same for us. We didn't get that kind of stuff until I don't think I had held my first iPad until I was a freshman in high school or sophomore in high school. Um, that's a good point that you brought up. I just had like a whole like, I don't know if it's flashback or like a realization. I am a huge music person. Huge music person. Okay. Y'all remember growing up? You know, between the ages of probably seven to ten, the iPod Nanos came out. Yeah, they were like this big. The one with no screen. No screen. It was just a little circle. The only technology that we had was to listen to music. And if you look at our generation, like the ages that you were talking about, there's a lot of people that all they do is listen to music, always have AirPods in, always yeah. have headphones in, yeah. playing music on the Bluetooth speaker. That's crazy to think about that all we do is listen to music and that is a big thing and why our generation is so like well-rounded in music. And if you look at the generation coming up that had iPads, that they're socially awkward, they can't carry on a conversation because all they're doing is looking at a screen. Isn't that kind of crazy to think about though? It is crazy. That Honestly, we grew yeah. up with a dang device that could only play music and we're 
so invest in music and concerts and stuff like that. Like, think about it. Think about all your friends that go to concerts. Think about all your friends who are like, oh, yeah. listen to this new song. And that's, we're the generation that came where the iPod Nano and the, the shuffle, the iPod shuffle and all that other crap came out while we were young. I feel like we're the buffer generation between um, like not so great technology and the technology we have nowadays, the right. the boom, they call it. We're the kind of that buffer spot where, you know, our parents had Blackberries growing up. I'm sure your parents did. I'm sure your dad or mom did at some point. Nope. No? No. Flip phone? Beep beeps? We didn't get our first cell phones until... I'm talking about your parents, not I'm you. I'm telling you. Really? I, I got a cell phone the same day my parents got a cell phone. Really? It was a prepaid phone because I, it was, I was in middle school. And I got sick one day, and they weren't home to answer the phone mm. to come get me. So we went to Walmart that night and got a prepaid phone, and I was only allowed to use it if I needed to call them to, like, come get me from somewhere. Do you remember minutes? Yeah, you had to go buy your minutes. You had to go buy minutes. A text was, like, five cents a text. Yes, yes. It cost more to send one than receive one. Yes. I remember that. And you had a data usage. You could only get on the Internet so much on your phone before you started getting charged for it. Yeah. Yeah, we had, for a long time, for me, I had one of the, uh, you know, just the slides with the whole keyboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those were my favorite. Yeah, those were awesome. They were great. They were fantastic. LG. Yeah, yeah, LG. LG. Uh, And my sister and I shared the phone. Um, And so you had to be really careful what you said. If you, you know, you were talking a little honey and everything like that. And uh, you had to be, school. You had to, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're talking to your little honey. And then your sister's like, Hey, I need to use the phone to call so-and-so for homework. And you're like, Oh, so you got to be really careful whenever you're sharing your phone with your sister. Um, no, no. <laughs> I'm but, expecting a very important text. In yes. About 10 minutes. Tiffany's yeah. telling me if she likes blue or green, I need the phone for the exactly. Five exactly. She said, "I missed you." You know, <laughs> you know, you're 12 years old or 13 or whatever, however old. But it's uh, it is it is really crazy to think about like when we were born and where we're at now, and we have literally seen the technology go from, you know, computers like laptops just now starting. Like one of my first laptops was a Gateway. I don't even think that's a company anymore. No. I've never even heard of it. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. And one of my first laptops was a Gateway. And it had Pac-Man. It had Backyard Baseball on it. Um, it got really hot whenever you were on it for more than about 20 minutes. Like, it would burn your lap. Like, that's how hot it would get. Mm. But it's crazy to think, like, back then, the stuff that we would use, and now it's like you have more compu- computing software on your telephone than... Like Everything's moving computers. so fast. One of my favorite uh, quotes that I've heard from Mr. Rogan is that uh, humans are the, yeah, literally, um, humans are the. I love oh, having Trey here so we can poke fun at The you. caterpillar <laughs> of the technology world. Like the, how fast we're evolving with AI. We've already created a new pretty much being with it. It's so smart. It's starting to figure out how to improve itself, how to do tasks. It's beat the world chess master at its own game. Computer did, which is pretty crazy to think about. Um, he says like that humans are the caterpillar to a new life on this planet. That We're building something that we don't even know we're building towards to take over this planet, which I definitely could see with how quick AI is moving. We're not getting how, into conspiracy theory. I'm not getting conspiracy theory, but I'm just saying how quick technology is booming. 
I mean, since we were born, we went from flip phones that sound like walkie-talkies to leaving FaceTime voice messages, uh, voicemails like you would see in Star Trek or something way back in the You can leave 90s. FaceTime voicemail? Yes. I didn't know that either. What? You didn't know I'm that? I'm on the lower end of the buffer you're talking Don't about. Don't ever send me a FaceTime voicemail. Oh, I'm sending you both one tonight when I get no. home. No. I'm telling you. No. My I'm, favorite I'm thing blocking your flip number. phone, you get so mad at the end of a phone call. <laughs> yep. I miss the Nokias, the indestructible... I think it's yes. called a Nokia. Yeah, where it's three 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 five six six six. Yeah, you have to hit the button seventeen yeah. times to <laughs> just to get you have the to right hit the, number. Hit it four times to get to S, but you can throw it against the wall and it's not going to break. break. No. Meanwhile, you drop your iPhone out of your pocket. You got to get a new one because the screen shatters. Do y'all remember Nextel? Beep beep. Yes, it was the I Nextel like Cup I think series. Y'all had more technology in Florida. Than I had maybe to. so Nextel was an advanced walkie-talkie, pretty much. And so, uh, my dad had on a BlackBerry, actually, like you were talking about, and there was a button on the side. And so, basically, if, say... It was like calling somebody. Yeah, like it was, It was yeah, basically. And ev- all the dads would have their Nextels, and then they would have their phone clips on their belt. And they could hear, like, beep, beep. And it's somebody trying to call the hookup with them on walkie-talkie. And so it would be, and it didn't necessarily matter about cell service. If you were at a certain range, then you can just beep, beep. And then you're like, hey, go ahead. And then I remember that. And it would just walkie-talkie back and forth. And it didn't matter about cell service, anything like that. Um, and They need to bring that back. Yeah. You're out in the woods, you ain't got signal. Exactly. That's what we used it for a lot. Like when we were in the woods, it was like beep, beep. And you can turn your ringer down or whatever, but... And then you just hold the button and be like, hey, what's up? That's the whole 10-4 thing, man. Roger that. 10-4. You didn't have you, that? You, no, I didn't have that. You want to hear a funny 10-4 story real quick? Hurry up. My mom uh, <laughs> still sets up my dentist and doctor appointments for me. What are you, 17? I don't know how to do that stuff. Oh, my God. <laughs> I devoted my life to baseball. Oh, my goodness. Literally devoted my life to baseball. We got to teach this kid. So... She texts me one day and is like, hey, you have a dentist appointment next Monday. And I, I text her back 10-4, and she goes, no, it's on 12-4. Because <laughs> she thought I was talking about the date. <laughs> That's how I respond to every text message now. I just That's how you know you've been in Polk County for too long. Too long, yeah. I just play so trappy. I love it here. I love it here. <laughs> you do love it here, and you've came back. You are now a coach here at Warner University in your first season. Um can't wait for you to see. I can't wait to see the results of that. I know you're very passionate, Coach. You're going on a recruiting recruiting trip tomorrow morning, correct? I am. It's, uh, I, I tell you what, I do like going to these showcases and recruiting. One, because you just meet a lot of people. Two, I have ran into people that I know. Like We went to the uh, the ABCA, the National Baseball Coaching Convention, and we were in Dallas. It was unbelievable. Well, Danny Coca, who's you've mentioned an assistant coach with us this year. Episode 6. Was like if you ask him about it, he's like Trey was a dang celebrity there. Like Danny, I've played baseball outside of Polk County. <laughs> <laughs> that so, is a really cool event. If you want to touch on that real quick, oh, it was, it was un, unbelievable. You're talking about ten thousand baseball coaches all in one place, and you get to meet. Anyone and anyone. Like I listen, I got to listen to Jay Johnson speak. He fired me up. He was the first. Speaker. LSU coach. Yeah, he was the first speaker to go. Instantly fired me because I have a bad, a bad problem about like 
looking into the future, and Greta will tell you this because she did I drive her insane with him. I'm like, what, three years, I want to be here, blah, blah, blah. I do the same thing. And he was like, if you're a young coach, be the best coach you can be where you are, and everything else will fall out. Let's go right now. <laughs> but, uh, no, it was, it was unbelievable just listening to people from all over the country, and I think there was a hundred other countries there. I think it's cool. Of just baseball people. I got to hang out with uh, Eric Burns for like 30 minutes one night, former big leaguer, coached this fan of bananas. Like, got to hang out with him, just shoot the crap with him. Uh, I met the, uh, you know, Eric Sims dude, the lift small, bunt the ball dude. Yeah, yeah. I got to meet him, talk to him. Nice. Uh, it was just, I met up with uh, some people from pro ball, some people from college, summer balls. Like, it was. It was it was an unbelievable experience. Being two former, well, three NAIA guys, I really want to get these guys on the podcast someday. I know they were there at the ABCA coaching um, convention in Dallas, the NAIA ball guys. I really want to get them on the show just to talk about how they got their podcast started, um, finally giving a platform to the small college guys out there like us. Uh, I think that'd be really cool. I haven't listened to a single one of their episodes. Really? They're really since good. I quit playing at Warner. Oh, okay. I, I've listened to them every now and then. Like when you get to the World Series, I listen to them. They talk about every team. They break down all the all the, you know, starting pitchers, the lineups and stuff like that. They do a really good job, man. Especially covering small college sports, which is really hard to. Um, Trey, I can't believe it's been forty nine episodes since you came back on. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to hang out with you again, dude. I know you have a busy jam-packed day being a college baseball coach and all. Um, man, it was just it was so much fun to kind of shoot the shit with you again, hang out. We had, we took a hard left turn there. <laughs> yeah, I like, know. Oh, we're having fun. Smell you. Oh, we keep talking. <laughs> we keep going. I, I didn't know. Dude, I can get six energy drinks and just keep Oh, going. my God. <laughs> we're going to go for a Rogan episode here. Oh, man. I'm not talking about tonight. I'm saying I can get six. I can get coffee and energy drinks tomorrow and roll. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry. Well, Life we a college baseball player. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We'll definitely have you back on a uh, another episode. Who knows? We had you at one. We had you at 50. We might do you at 100. Um, yeah. But uh, it was great to be able to, you know, get back and re- recap and reflect on the things that – you know, we talked about in episode one um, and have a, a touch more structured uh, yeah. conversation. Not much more structured. Yeah, but I know. Every time more. he comes in, it's just like, hey, fuck it, we're going to talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, it's kind of hard whenever, uh, you know, you're catching up with a buddy and it's, it's you know, everybody's remember when, remember when, and we forget we have an audience. But thank you all for uh, hanging in there with me, with us and uh and Trey, man, obviously it's been a pleasure. Um, we wish you the best of luck in this upcoming season. Um, you want to shout out any socials or uh, any highlights? Coach Wu. Uh, I guess, yeah, technically my TikTok is Coach underscore Wu 34. Um, Wu, that's W-O-O. W-O-O. Uh, I deleted my coaching Instagram. Um, oh, you. I didn't have anything to post on it, man. <laughs> You're a coach now. Just post your regular everyday thing. I'm not going to be the guy. I guess not. I say we do this again in uh, in Alaska on top of a mountain. That would be lit. Yes. Congratulations on that, by the way, oh, partner. You. You. Can't wait. I'm looking forward to that trip. Yeah. If we could somehow figure out a way to bring up the podcast equipment up there and do that, that'd be it'd be something. I got Sky Miles. I can. Uh, I got extra room for some baggage. 
And honestly, it's only one box and a soundboard, and you could probably put that in your suitcase. I can put it on my carry-on. Yeah. Or that could be a personal item. Anyways, Trey's getting married in Alaska this summer, so uh, we might be... That'd be really cool. Up. Maybe 75. Maybe episode 75. Yeah, we'll be about right now. June 20th, so it'd yeah. have to be just any day but that day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we appreciate y'all for listening. Don't forget, follow us on Instagram, everything, social medias you can think of. That's Rule One Podcast. Um, oh, also, give us a star rating on Spotify. It really helps us. Get pushed in the algorithm. We finally have enough ratings on our Spotify for our Spotify rating to show on our page. 5.0, partner. Yes. <laughs> yes. We have an audience that likes what we're doing so far. Five stars. So um, keep liking. Keep giving us the ratings. It helps us grow. Um, and I really want to say thank you for that. That's, really, that's a pretty big deal when it comes to being a podcast and having a star rating on Spotify. Yeah, we love it. And like I mentioned before, we have uh, a ton of really special guests that we want to um, have on in the future. Um, and if y'all want to possibly see some of those special guests, February 1st, the Farmer Once a Wife episode Come on! How about comes you? on. Um, so that's a couple, I'll raise a glass. That's that. about a week from now um, when the episode comes out. So uh, on, we're sitting we're here getting close. We're getting close. And, uh, and so don't forget. February 1st on Fox, February 2nd on Hulu. Y'all get ready to tune in. So I'm and, excited. I am too. I can't wait to see that side of you. Oh, <laughs> I cannot so wait to it see that side so of We'll see how it goes, and we'll see y'all next week. Come on. How about you? <laughs>